lesson is coming from uh, this morning. I want to tell you a story. A story about a mouse. Now, this was Mortimer Mouse. And Mortimer really liked food. But he liked a particular kind of food. Now you would think with a mouse, maybe he likes cheese. Maybe he likes Swiss cheese. Maybe he likes Gouda cheese. But no, Mortimer's favorite food was not cheese. It was peanut butter. <laughs> it was peanut butter. Mortimer was a field mouse. And the farmer grew peanuts and his wife made peanut butter. And him and his 100 brothers and sisters would sneak into the house to get food. All the other brothers and sisters wanted the cheese. But Mortimer wanted the peanut butter. You know, you think about the life of the Christian, and we all have different temptations, don't we? Some may be tempted to lie. Some may be tempted to steal. Some may be tempted to cheat. Some may be tempted for much worse things in the eyes of us as humans. But nonetheless, they're all temptations, aren't they? They're all Satan's way of putting things in front of us to make us sin. You know, temptation comes about by having desire and opportunity. You have to desire what is being put in front of you and have the opportunity to partake of it, and that causes temptation. Now, if you have desire and opportunity and you have action with that, then that temptation is no longer a temptation, but that temptation becomes sin. We have the desire, we have the opportunity to partake, and we act on that opportunity. Then it becomes sin. And the Christian, with sin in their lives and no forgiveness, the ultimate is punishment or that of eternal death. So we want to look this morning from the book of James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, 
He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Wouldn't you say one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life is dealing with temptation? As soon as we become a Christian, those temptations seem to get even more strong coming our way of the things we would be tempted by. Like I said before, every Christian has different temptations. What tempts Brian may not tempt Steve. What tempts Steve may not tempt Richard. We can see that there are different temptations that we need to stay away from. Is it a good idea for an alcoholic to go into a bar? We have the desire and the opportunity. Therefore, the temptation is present. Well, it's not a good situation for the Christian to have opportunity meet desire for that temptation to even be there. In James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 that we just read, we find helpful words for the Christian in the form of a promise, a caution, and an understanding of how sin develops in the Christian life. Let's look again at verse 12 of James chapter 1. The man who endures temptation will be blessed. The Greek word there means to be happy, to be blessed in God. The nature of happiness enjoyed is described as the verse continues, for after he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life. After he's been proved, after he's endured. The promise is that of eternal life of those who resist temptation, those who win against temptation. The promise is given to him who can as is given by him who cannot lie, that of God. For God cannot lie. It's against his very nature. And the promise is given to those who demonstrate or prove their love for God by their endurance of the temptations. Mortimer was tempted by the peanut butter. And so, to Christians facing temptations first, we have encouraging words. And as we read through, we notice that there's a word of caution. Look, if you will, in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Skip down to verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Let no one say they are tempted by God. Verse 13 of James chapter 1. That is, to blame God for their temptations because God didn't tempt us to sin. For God is holy. He cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone 
by evil or tempt anyone to do evil. You know, it's interesting in the life of uh, the Christian as well as those who are striving to live a good life, the first person to get credit when things are going good is God and the first person to get the blame when things are going bad is who? You can say it. God. So don't be deceived into such thinking as verses 16 through 18 point out. God is the source of good, not evil. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. As an example, it is of His own will that He brought forth the Word of truth so that we might be the kind of first fruits, the cream of the crop of His creatures. This being true, certainly God would not tempt us with evil. For God is good and those good things come from God, not those evil things from God. In fact, through the words of James, God gives us an insight into the development of sin which we can help us overcome sin. That insight is that we have to have an understanding of how sin or temptation enters the life of the Christian. Notice in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. How does sin develop? Well, the first stage is temptation. Verse 14. This stage develops and involves two things, lust or desire and enticement. Enticement is an opportunity or encouragement to satisfy that desire. Put into a mathematical formula, we would say temptation equals desire plus opportunity. A small boy is tempted to steal some cookies when he wants them. That is his desire. And has a good chance to get them and not be seen. That is his opportunity. Mortimer likes peanut butter. And if he can get that peanut butter without being seen, that is his opportunity. He has the desire and opportunity to be tempted. We as Christians need to stay away from those situations in which we know we already have desire and stay away from opportunity to act on those desires. It's interesting, do we always know that it's something we desire until we get into the situation? We don't always know beforehand, do we? We don't always know that one particular thing is going to be a temptation to us because it may be that the particular situation that we're in as Christians that causes us to have a desire different than what we would normally expect. Maybe it's because of peer pressure when we're, when we're young people. Or maybe it's because we're afraid to be made fun of as we become adults. Whatever the case may be, temptation comes from that desire and opportunity meeting up. Remember, it is not a sin 
to be tempted. For Jesus was tempted, as we see in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, and all points just as we, yet without sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to act on that temptation. So the second stage of development in, uh, of sin is sin itself. Notice in verse 15 of James chapter 1. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Let's look at the first part of that passage. Then when desire has conceived, it brings gift or it gives birth to sin. So we have desire and opportunity which led to temptation. We act on the temptation which brings forth sin. So the mathematical formula for that would be desire plus opportunity plus action equals sin. The final stage is the consequence of unforgiven sin, and that is death. The second part of James chapter 1 and verse 15. When it is full grown, brings forth death. Death of what? The physical body? Do you remember the serpent in the, in the garden? Oh, you will not surely die. Did Adam and Eve immediately die? They didn't immediately die in the flesh, did they? Oh, you will not surely die. God told them they would. They were introduced to sin. Sin entered their life. And then they had what we call a sin problem. And they needed forgiveness of that sin. For without forgiveness, death is the only consequence of sin. So it refers to a spiritual separation of God, which is the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Ultimately, such death involves eternal punishment. That lake of fire and brimstone, as read about in the book of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. So desire plus opportunity plus action with no forgiveness equals punishment. We don't want the punishment of eternal death to enter the life of the Christian, nor does God. Sin and Satan will have overcome if we receive this final punishment without forgiveness of our sin. But with this understanding of how sin develops, it could help us better improve our lives as Christians and better prepare us for temptations that may come our way. By alleviating the opportunity to fulfill our desire. How do we overcome sin? Well, we change our desires. Since this is where the process of sin begins, it's certainly the best part for the Christian to begin, that we change our desires. Bear in mind that it is a part of the Christian growth to change our desires. Turn, if you will, over to Romans chapter 12. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that? It's a changing of our desires, isn't it? It's a transforming of our mind. That's a changing of our mind. Change your desires. Those who are Christ have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. How can we change our desires? Well, notice that the Word of God has always been instrumental in helping people overcome sin. Turn, if you will, for a moment to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. This is where Satan tempts Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on the on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you for you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. We see then how the Word of God can change our desires. As we read of God's love and long-suffering and mercy, we desire to serve Him. Psalms chapter 116, verses 12 through 14. As we read of sin and its damnable consequences, we come to hate it. Psalms chapter 119, verses, verse 104. So the more we study God's Word and the less likely we will have the desire to sin. We change our desires. We have a transformation of our mind. As Barney Fife would say, we nip it in the bud. But changing our desires takes time, doesn't it? It's not an overnight process. It's a life of striving to be the best Christian that we can be. 
of finding better ways of resisting temptation, better ways of changing our desires, a better understanding of what God's love is for us by being pleasing to Him and changing our mind. But changing our desires takes time, as we said. While engaged in the process of changing our desires, what else can we do? Well, we need to limit our opportunities. Remember when we're tempted only when we have both desire and opportunity? Well, so while we work on changing our desires, we should limit the opportunities to fulfill those wrongful desires we already know we have. Sometimes that's easier said than done. This can be done by asking God for His help, as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. We can cooperate with God by purposely avoiding situations that might entice us wrongfully to be tempted and ultimately to sin. Following the example of David and staying away from his desires in Psalm chapter 101, and certainly the example of Job we see in the entire book of Job. Avoiding those whose evil behavior encourages us to sin with them. Limiting our opportunities by limiting our friends. But we'll, we will unlikely remove every desire and opportunity of sin in this life. We can't get away from sin completely in our lives, can we? But we can sure have a fighting chance to try. We, as Christians, must exercise self-control. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? If we see something, we want it right now. Remember, it becomes sin when we yield to the action in fulfilling our sinful desires. If we can control ourselves so as not to yield to the temptation, then we can overcome sin. How does the Christian exercise self-control? Well, let me give you just a few points. Self-control is but one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Spirit is God's instrumental agent by which He imparts strength to us. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Strengthened by the Spirit, we are able to put to death the deeds of the body. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And as Paul said, I can do all things through Him or through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. It is through faith in God's Word that the Christian believes that he has the divine help of God through the Word of God. Ephesians chapter in verse 20. It's certainly the proper to pray for God's help, isn't it? We pray for God's help in all sorts of things. Why not pray for God's help in keeping us away from sin? In keeping us away from our desires and not presenting to us opportunities. 
or limiting those opportunities. But equally important, we need to keep ourselves from acting upon our temptations. We're not alone, are we? We're not alone in trying to keep ourselves away from the temptations that come our way. Notice, if you will, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God is on our side. He wills us to want to receive eternal reward instead of eternal punishment. God wants us to make it to heaven. If He didn't, He made a very big sacrifice for His desire not to be that we be in heaven. And that is that He sent His only Son to die on a cruel cross of a cruel death so that you and I could be saved. We must obtain forgiveness. Remember that sin is victorious when it results in punishment. And only then. But if we obtain forgiveness through the blood of Christ, we can avoid that punishment and thereby still overcome sin. I want to point a verse out to you here. First John chapter one, or I'm sorry, first John chapter two in verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Christ died for the whole world. Yes, Christ is truly our propitiation for sins. By His blood we were forgiven of past sins when we were united with Him through baptism. As we read in God's Word in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 and Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 and so many other examples we can see in God's Word. By His blood we can be forgiven of present sins when we repent when we pray and we, when we confess those sins to God. Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Notice if you will, if you're still in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At any time, the Christian can overcome sin that were committed by repenting and confessing to God and asking for forgiveness. Don't be tempted by the peanut butter in your life, whatever it may be. Look to God to help you through those trying times in changing your desires and limiting your opportunity 
And if action does take place and you do yield to temptation, please, as God would say, ask for forgiveness for those things that come your way so that you can have the eternal reward of heaven and not the eternal punishment of hell. There may be some here this morning who need to respond to the Lord's invitation. Perhaps you've never become a Christian and you don't have the ability to be forgiven of your sins without the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. Well, the Word of God says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You must hear the Word of God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning on purpose. Have that change of mind. You must confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be buried and come in contact with that blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. For those of us who are Christians, we must change our desires and opportunities so that temptation does not come our way. But once it does, we must be forgiven of those sins that we commit so that we can have that eternal reward in heaven one day. If you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation, to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you do not yield to temptation that Satan sends your way, we offer you an opportunity to come forward as we stand and as we sing. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. <coughs> yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, look down from the throne in the skies and help me to make a complete sacrifice. I give up myself and whatever I know. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, Thou seest I patiently wait. Come down and with it me a new heart create. To those who have sought Thee, Thou never says no. Now wash me and I shall be white whiter than snow, whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. 
Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Be seated, please. Please turn to 393. 393, we'll sing this hymn for the fire of the Lord's Supper. Oft we come together, oft we sing and pray, here we bring our offering on this holy day. Father, we come before you today to give thanks for this bread that represents the broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you and come around this table today, we come thanking you for the blood that you were willing to share upon Calvary for us. We pray, we thank you for uh, that blood that will save us for eternity. And we thank you for what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Moral service having been concluded, we now have the opportunity to give. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings you bestow upon us. We thank you for your Son. We now have the opportunity to give of our means. Let each one be a cheerful giver that the work that this congregation supports will go on in truth according to your will. In the name of Christ, we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Number 549. <clears throat> 
appreciate your presence here this morning. There was one other meeting that I thought some of you may be interested in. Uh, Wesley Simons will be conducting a, a meeting this week, a series of lessons at Greens Lake Road. Uh, this is the first through the fifth that it, any of you may be interested in, in hearing him. He will be there this week. It's always good to have capable men of filling in uh, when our preacher's not here. Jim is, this week is in La, La Follette, Tennessee. Is that correct? Close. But uh, I hope you'll remember him as he travels back to us. But uh, thank you, Brian, for a fine lesson. Hope you'll be back with us this evening. Brother Tommy Leslie will present the lesson of the hour. 549, we'll sing the first verse. If you would, please stand. <clears throat> Where we get through with announcements. <laughs> One more announcement. Shirley Crownover is to have an MRI Monday. Uh, she's having a problem with her balance. Uh, continue to remember her in your prayers. 549, the first verse. <clears throat> oh, how sweet will be to meet the Lord when he comes in glory by and by. What a song of praise will be outpoured when he comes in glory by and by. How sweet, how sweet. When he come in the sky, what joy, what joy, when he comes in glory by and by. Our dear Lord, we're thankful to you for the opportunity given us to come together to worship you this morning. We pray that all we have done is acceptable unto you and that we can have your blessing as we live our lives as we attempt to do so according to your word. Be with